When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 228, Howard Ashman. Welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, the number one place to get your animation fix with animation addicts just like you. Each episode, we dive into the wonderful world of animation featuring Disney, DreamWorks, Pixar, and everything in between. From hilarious discussions and movie reviews to interviews with industry insiders, this show's mission is to brighten your day through our love of animation. So hop on your nerdy couch, grab some snacks, and get ready to hang out with your animation besties because it's time to dive into today's episode. Hey there, Animation Addicts. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. We're super excited because this episode, we are talking about the Disney Plus documentary, Howard. Now, if you don't know, this is a documentary about the Disney legend, musical superstar, Howard Ashman. So we are super, super excited to talk about this because he is the reason why you love the movies that you love. And the movies that you grew up with, you have so much nostalgia about, Academy Award winning, Grammy nominated, all of those, those movies are so good because of Howard. And we're going to talk about that in one moment. But before we do, we have our five-star review of the week. This one is by Sally. She says, upbeat, fun conversations. Definitely my favorite podcast about animation. I love their discussions and how much they nerd out on story and animation tropes. I love how fun and upbeat the hosts are. Their conversations always brighten my day. Thank you, Sally. And if you want to have your review read on the podcast, make sure to leave us a five-star review. Go to rotoscopers.com slash iTunes and leave your review there. So we will see you and your five-star review in the next episode. All right, with that, now let's jump into our movie because this is just a wonderful movie about a really wonderful man. So let's jump into the main event. All right, before we get started, let me, let's give some main discussion information. This helps set the stage. So obviously the studio, this is Stone Circle Productions. This is Don Hahn's company. It's distributed by Disney Plus. Director was Don Hahn, which we will talk about in a little bit. If you don't know who he is, he's also one of the Disney greats. The release date. Now there's a few. It was released in the Tribeca Film Festival, April 22nd, 2018. And then it was released in the U.S. December 18th, 2018. And then about a year and a half later, it was officially picked up by Disney Plus and released on the Disney Plus platform on August 7th, 2020. So this movie has been out about a year. Initially, everyone was talking about it when it first came out. I wanted to see it. I just didn't get around to seeing it. And now that I did, I'm just so glad that I I got to see it, you know, because Howard Ashman, he's the greatest. He's, ah, I, I, I I think this is just a love letter and a tribute to Howard Ashman, to his career, to his legacy. And it's way overdue that, and I'm glad that we were finally able to get this. Yeah. There were so many parts of Howard Ashman's career that it's like, I feel like I knew, Mm -hmm. but then being able to see this other side, just 
really did add in a lot of the con- you know connecting points that I I had I didn't know the connective tissue so, if you will yeah Chelsea yeah. I texted her I said hey I'm watching Howard and in Morgan fashion you need to do this too <laughs> and so I had her watch it I said hey let's do it for the podcast because we've been doing this musical series in our nerdy couch discussions which I absolutely love we're breaking down each one of kind of the the categories of different songs in the Disney animated musical. And Howard is so key to that. And he actually gave people uh, some of these, the names like the, I want song. I mean, really, he was one of the people to define that and kind of put it in a box. And it talks Mm -hmm. about this in this um, documentary, but, and just to go with what you said, Chelsea, you know, when I was watching it very much like you, you know, we're Disney super fans. We know everything about the company. We've read books. We've watched all the movies. We, we know everything of a backstory of these people who are involved in creating the films. And so as I was watching it, you know, I texted you, I said, I kind of know all of this stuff, but nonetheless, it's still super interesting. And, and like you said, they, the way that it was presented, they provided a lot more backstory and information, um, to kind of fill in the questions or, or some of the missing pieces that maybe I didn't know. So, so props to Don Hahn for all of that. I remember when you and I went to uh, D23 and I got a picture with Don Hahn and the man is massive, tall. like very tall, really, really <laughs> tall. <laughs> and I just, I have a picture of me with next to Don and he's literally like two feet taller than me. And I'm not, I would not consider myself a short person. I'm like five, six and that's like average girl. And, th- but this man is like so tall and he's like, he, put his arm on my shoulder and it was just like I felt like a like a little person next to him (laughs) because I was like this man is huge like massive man um and I just remember somebody else made some random comment of like oh I bet Jeffrey Kapsenberg would be happy about this or whatever and he was just like yeah I don't think Jeffrey would care much (laughs) or something wait about about you and him taking a picture no, 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 just like the event because we were at it was oh. the the event at D23 was like the great of yes. animation yes. or whatever. And it was just like right after I had read Disney War and known all these like little intertwined things about how just or not Je- well cuz Jeffrey had already moved over. It wasn't Jeffrey. It was the um Eisner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was like he's like I bet Eisner wish he was wish he's he were here or something like that. And he was just like, Yeah, I don't think he cares. <laughs> oh, <my God. laughs> oh man, that's hilarious. Awesome. <laughs> um, speaking so that's of- my Don Hahn story. <laughs> Side note about Eisner, a little tangent time for you. When I was at Disney World, there was someone who had a Michael Eisner t-shirt and it was like, <laughs> yes, I stand a Michael Eisner stan. I just thought it was so amazing. You know, it's funny because we're so far removed from the Michael Eisner era that, you know, there was a lot of, oh, Michael Eisner, he did this, this, and this, and he ruined this. And I can't believe he did this. And, but at the same time, you know, now that we're so far removed, there are a lot of great things that he did, obviously that right. we can look at those in a good light, you know, cause obviously uh, we, we owe a lot to Eisner. And it right. was just funny. And I was like, yes, I love you for wearing that t-shirt. <laughs> it was at Hollywood Studios too, which is perfect. So, oh, oh that is so perfect. Good. Anyways, so back to Don Hahn. Now here, we're kind of going to these three different levels. The movie's about Howard Ashman, but before we talk about Howard right. Ashman, we have to talk about Don Hahn. So, you know, Don Hahn, he has his own production company. He did Waking Sleeping Beauty, which really is a film about the Disney Renaissance yeah. and everything that happened, you know, speaking of Eisner. Um, with the studio and how they were able to get this uh, the Sleeping Beauty back, right? 
And Howard Ashman is a big part of that. And so I was reading some interviews with Don Hahn and he was saying that, yeah, you know, I was initially wanting to have a bigger part of Howard Ashman in Waking Sleeping Beauty, but it just didn't really fit because it was more about the studio and the dynamics there. And so I just always had this idea in my head to make a Howard Ashman documentary. And he said that he went to lunch with Howard's sister and she has a blog and whatnot. And she was talking about, you know, wanting to do a biography about him. And he's like, Hey, I, I want to make a movie. And she was like, Oh, okay. So, you know, obviously she was involved in making Let's it. Let's make so, some magic. Yeah. <laughs> so they, they ended up making this, which is really, really exciting. Now, Don Hahn, he has a long career with Disney. He, he obviously has uh, like a music and arts background, but from the very beginning, he was always on the production side. So he started, you know, as a production assistant on the small one, which is a short, he was an assistant director for Fox and the Hound and slowly was able to, or very quickly, you know, within, you know, 10 years, he was a, a associate producer on Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then ultimately, you know, became the guy, the producer on Beauty and the Beast, The Lion King and yeah. uh, tons of other films. So he's had his hand in a variety of things in the Disney studios over the years. So he's one of the top guys that's been involved in so many things. Now, recently he's moved on to some other things. Like he's still involved in a lot of the, mostly the live action uh, remakes he's been doing. He was part of Maleficent, you know, which isn't necessarily a live action mm -hmm. remake, but you know what I mean? Beauty and the Beast, um, The Lion King in 2019. And he's obviously has his own production studio now where he makes, you know, his different um, passion projects, if you will, right there. So lots of other things he's still involved with, still involved in the company and is definitely a Disney legend. So Glad that that Don was able to bring this to light. You know, no better person. He said that he had worked with Howard Ashman, but at the same time, you can work with someone and not necessarily know much right. about their personal life. And he felt that was really true. Um, you know, when he he definitely knew him, but as far as you know, he wasn't in the inner circle who you know knew about that he had AIDS. So, where do you want to go with this? Where do you want to talk about Howard Ashman? Because this is just a love letter to him. It's really bittersweet. You know, yeah. uh, the, for me, the one thing that as I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, this is just so frustrating because you could see how he worked so hard. He was really passionate. He was incredibly talented. You know, he went on Broadway. He got success rel a, a little bit on Broadway. You know, Little Shop of Horrors was successful. He had his own, you know, basically production company and off off Broadway production house and, you know, was able to get it remade into a movie, which he was OK with. He didn't necessarily love it. But hey, that's that's all you need. That's a stepping stone to get you where you need to go. Right. Um, then smile, which we will talk about. And ultimately it bumped, it bumped him over to Disney. And he has these three main movies that he makes with Disney and which is the little mermaid beauty and the beast and Aladdin. And he's only partly involved with Aladdin. Um, you know, Tim rice comes in and finishes up some of the songs, but it's just so sad because he was really hitting his stride and was becoming, these movies were just epic and they were blockbusters and they really, you know, woke sleeping beauty. They brought Disney back and it's yeah. just so bittersweet and sad because it's like, uh, what could have been, what, what would the Disney Renaissance have been if he continued to be involved, you know, and right. it, 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 what happened happened, but it, it's just so much potential and so much talent. Um, and you can tell he was frustrated with that as well. Cause everything he'd worked for was finally here, but it was just mm -hmm. the beginning. Yeah. And I, I agree. You know, there is the one side where, yes, I, I do wish that he could have been involved in more, but I mean, at the same time, you're like, well, I mean, 
people do have to take their turn. So it's mm-hmm. like if he wasn't there, then that yeah, other other people wouldn't have gotten the chance to step up a little bit more too. But at the same time, I think that his influence was way more than just just those three films that he was in because every every movie thereafter that had any type of a musical bent to it was everybody looked to his original it, I, Roy Disney in the documentary states he's like I don't want to compare him to Walt but he really did have that same kind of influence on everybody whatever he said kind of went and everybody just were everyone was so drawn to him and his creative mastery and I feel like he was able to do exactly what he needed to do in that he he really did start everything on anew mm-hmm. like everything was brand new once he came in and he really changed it all. the the moment when uh don Hahn mentioned he's just like oh yeah and then everybody needs to have a want i mean i should have known that but why didn't i know right that? right it just takes someone like, to articulate you know what has already been happening for decades in the musical you know at this right. point and just to make it click in your musical, mind in story yes yes that too <laughs> Like all stories need a, like a, a driving force mm-hmm. or a want, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So um, it's just kind of funny how that was, but it, it really was. Uh, that's how everything. And as we're going through all these songs through the you know the Disney music musicals, really every song does play a part in the creation of this full story, and he was the master at it mm-hmm. and he was really what created every list that we're going through like yeah the reason why these lists are there they all started it i mean they were all kind of there as i'm going through and making all these lists obviously you had the you know the pre-renaissance where some of the movies had some of these songs but not all of them had all of them mm-hmm. and then you get to the the Disney Renaissance era where everybody has one of these songs, <laughs> like the key points in the story structure of a musical, they all have a song that plays that part in that story, which is cool. Yeah. Now that I, I mean, I knew that, but it's, it's also cool to connect him to it. Yeah. I feel like, you know, when listening and hearing about how his early age went into everything, because once he got to Disney, I feel like I really knew him. Like all the. You're like, oh, I knew this, I knew stuff, this, I, I knew this. Yeah. Yeah. I knew most of this stuff just because, you know, you, once you get. Waking Sleeping Beauty was just an amazing um, documentary. And if you haven't seen that one, I would highly recommend going to watch that one right after Howard, uh, the Howard movie. But. Um, I feel like his early years were much more uh, just new to me. And I was really impressed with him and how his sister comes up and just talks about how very creative he was. And he's like, okay, he was taking care of her. And uh, he he went upstairs and he was like, okay, come here. I got, I got to show you something. And I have older brothers. And so I, you know, we, growing up, we all had these like moments where you're just kids alone playing. And I don't know how kids today have it. Everybody's got a screen, but at the time, you know, you, we didn't have any of these things. And so you had to do this whole thing called imagination. And, um, (laughs) it was, you know, I can, I can definitely relate to that moment of like, okay, you know, me and my big brother going and looking out and and creating our own our own little world. It was just very tender to see kind of how he was 
this way from the very beginning and just was imaginative to his core. Yeah. And it seems like with a lot of these really great, you know, these people who end up doing really great things creatively in their life, it's something that they've just always had. It's just always mm-hmm. a part of them. And it's interesting to see whether that will be fed and and allowed to blossom and bloom or you know, sometimes people, you know, end up in a desk job or they don't, you know, see it all the way to fruition. So with him, you right. know, I was really grateful we were, he was able to do that, but he also pushed and made it happen, which I loved. He, you know, went and got his master's yeah. and then he went to Broadway and then started his own production company. He took the bull by the horns and made it happen and put on these really small shows, which there were even times where he's like, I don't want this on Broadway. It's not going to work on Broadway. Yeah. It needs to be a small intimate setting. And, you know, it really shows that he was true to himself and just wasn't in it for the money or just the notoriety or fame. Obviously he wanted those things. You can see he was really upset with smile and how that just right. did not perform the way that he expected it to. It really made him bitter towards the critics and just the New York Broadway scene. However, yeah. you know, he, he moves forward. Now let's talk about smile because that's one thing that was a gap or something that I wasn't familiar with. This is yeah. a hilarious <laughs> show. Yeah. And I was looking it up, you know, I was like, wow, was this ever, you know, redone? Um, you know, had a, you know, he, like Les Mis has been going on forever, but some of these old uh, musicals, they'll revive them. Right. Did it ever have a revival? Right. No. No, I'm sorry. No, <laughs> no revival of Smile has happened. But this is where we're first introduced to Jody Benson. And she kind of plays mm-hmm. one of the main characters. But I thought it was interesting. Smile is considered to be a lost musical in the fact that there was no official cast recording ever made. So if you're like, wow, wow this sounds super cool. I love Howard Ashman. I want to listen to more of his songs because he's a lyricist genius. Sorry, you are not going to be able to find that. Now, they did, you know, do like a a reunion special in 2014 where the, the original cast got together and they sang, you know, and obviously the music like is still there. You can find like the actual sheet music or whatnot. Um, right. as far as like an original cast recording that was never made. And so they have kind of just like a demo CD with the original cast and, um, his demo tracks, which is available, but it just seems so bizarre nowadays. You're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you didn't record yeah. an official cast recording. <laughs> Cause it was on Broadway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, Smile, I kind of see Smile as if Miss Congeniality were a musical, I hope Smile would be like that. Mm-hmm. So because I have no, I don't know. like We know nothing name. about it other than the clips. I know nothing we about shown. this musical. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the whole idea of Smile was just crazy. But then there's a point where you bring in uh, Jody Benson and she starts singing this song <laughs> that's like, I got to get to Disneyland. <laughs> Disneyland. Like, <laughs> I'm like, that's so amazing. <laughs> oh, oh of so course. great. Of course. I, I do want to back up just a little bit. Sure. And just the fact that he created his own theater. I guess I just, I really, really appreciate, as I'm sure most of you can already tell, the entrepreneurial spirit and the fact that somebody was able to go out and say, okay, I'm going to go to this really hole-in-the-wall, craptastic place down Lower Fifth and create a 99-person theater. And I just think that that's so, so cool and brave and just like, oh, I'm praying for you because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's going to be really difficult to make anything work out of that. But the fact that he did was just so, I got so much joy out of that moment. And, you know, there's so many elements of, I will make this work. 
And if it means I have to be the one in charge of every aspect of this, then I will, but I will make this work. And Mm -hmm. that in and of itself to me is just so inspiring because there's so many times when I think, um, especially creatives, they get to a point where they're like, well, you know, I didn't get my record deal or that one person never saw me on the street walking down, (laughs) ducking down Hollywood Mm -hmm. Boulevard. You know, it's like, I never got my, my perfect break when in reality, most of the time, especially in today's world, the amount of effort it would take to, you know, get a big break nowadays is at the same time harder and easier mm-hmm. because of the internet. You don't have the same gatekeepers, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you have there's, there's just so much, much more. more that you have to kind of fight through. Yes. But like, I just, I still, on both sides, I feel like there's always going to be a, that amount of friction so that you're able to get the the cream will always rise to the top i guess Mm -hmm. and um i just wanted to put that out there and just be like yay good for them and also if you are able to go to live theater please go support live theater because people need people need to be seen and people need to be heard and people need to get paid so please go yes yes here here i support it Kind of reminds me of, you know, our good friend and we're big fans, Don Bluth. You know, he has his own here mm-hmm. theater here in town. Um, Don Bluth Front Row Theater. Also, you know, Star Kid Productions. You know, they're the people behind yeah. a very Potter musical. You know, they started in their college and they did this musical and at the University of Michigan and turned it into this big theater. And, you know, they they've continued to do tons and tons of things, at least 10 different productions, which is pretty crazy. But, you know, I just love that, hey, we're not going to let other people dictate, you know, the traditional path or how we're going to do it. For me, I've never really honestly considered myself an entrepreneurial person. Like even in college, there were people who were taking entrepreneurship classes. And I was like, I just, it does not compute. Why would you do this? (laughs) Why would you, why would you, how would you start your own business? how would you do, who's going to manage the accounting? Like I had a very limiting beliefs right there. Um, but <laughs> who's going to manage the accounting? That's what I was thinking. I was like, how, how do you have a person? Who's gonna, you just do that's it. That's for another day. <laughs> uh, here I am the MBA and I'm like, but who's going to, who's going to do that? <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. It's just not in my natural nature to like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to go and do this. So but at the same time, like I love entrepreneurs and, you know, I love the entrepreneur's success story, whether big or small. Um, you know, so he was definitely part of that. And, you know, it shows that, you know, doing your own thing, carving your own path, starting your own way can be a, a jumping board to get where you ultimately want to be, which might be the big screen or the big stage, uh, so on. So, yeah. So that is, you know, Howard's kind of early life. Um, well, the movie really picked up for me once he started getting to Broadway. Um, you know, I, I liked learning about his childhood and whatnot, but I was most interested, like, okay, let's tell me about the things I love, you know, Little Shop of Horrors <laughs> and Disney. And so once Alan we got Bacon. into, yes, uh, once we started getting into that world, I was, I was really all in in the musical and then it just ends so abruptly, uh, which we will get to, but is there anything else you want to talk about as his Broadway years? It was interesting when, when they talked about his, um, and I quote self-destructive unquote partner, mm-hmm. uh, Stuart. And, you know, just kind of like how that really shifted his mentality of where he was and what was going to happen And that. I, it seemed like, and now I could be wrong, but based on how it was 
presented in the film, it seemed like that paved the way to open up a door for Alan Menken. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of see those things as as um, providence, you know. And Alan Menken was looking for somebody who was just like, I'll help this guy. He, he, yeah. I, I'm the Lears. I'm the guy. I'll help him. And and then later on, Howard like comes and he's like, here's the lyrics. And he's like, oh, okay, here we go. And like the fact that he had never sat down and, and done any lyrics up until that point was just kind of surprising to me as well, because I always kind of considered him a lyricist. Right. When I think of him, I think of Howard Ashman's lyric. Yeah. So it was cool to to know that with it didn't start until Alan Menken came into the picture and Alan Menken was the first one to like play his song. <laughs> like it was just I felt that was really cool. Yeah, I really liked um, hearing how they worked together, you know, how um Howard really had a vision of what he wanted these songs to be. He just couldn't quite articulate it, you know, cuz he right. wasn't a musician. And he would work and say, no, 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 you got to do this. Okay, change this. You know, just very dictatorial in a way, in the best of mm-hmm. best of sense. But luckily yeah. that didn't didn't turn off Mankin too much. You know, mm-hmm. he he appreciated yeah. that. And they were they were able to push through and work together and really create some some amazing pieces of work. Yeah. And I liked there was one point right after that where, he t- where they were talking about Little Shop of Horrors. And that was the first time that they would really decided that they are going to write in a style. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. be like very true to this old style, but then make it, you know, how how they put it, the dark side of Greece. <laughs> yeah, like that's that literally what that is. I I get that. Um, and his lyrics are just so wor- wordy. Yes. Um, and it's almost like uh, like rapping in its infancy, uh, like in a different way, like Howard Ashman raps because he just has so many words, and how he does it is very articulation. And da 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 da. I feel like he's just. He was so ahead of his time, as you know, this the thing says. But I mean, he really was the one that put so much in motion. Yeah, you know, just talking about his lyricist or lyrical prowess, I think of you know the big three Disney films that he worked on. You know, and I think of very, very Howard Ashman lyrics from Under the Sea. I think the part where he says the new play the flute the carp play the harp the pace plays the bass and they sound as sharp the bass plays the brass the chub play the chub the fluke is the duke of soul yeah you yeah. know and then in <laughs> be our guests you know when there's there's different parts where he's um he's just like spouting off and he just like can't help himself he keeps going and going and going um they, they definitely showed a part of prince ali at the very end with 60 elephants llamas galore with his bears and lions and brass bands and more with his 40 fakers his cooks his bakers his birds that warble on key it's just <laughs> ah, just so, so good. I love it. Um, it's so good. And he's the never replicated, replicated, replicated genie of the lamp. That is Howard Ashman right there. It, it really is. Yeah. And also to see that he got at, you know, after Little Shop of Horror does really well in his thing, it, it ends up going to a Broadway place uh, and then gets a movie. Like that's, that's also kind of like the dream. For a lot of these people, it's like, I want a movie. Um, mm-hmm. But then also later on when it goes in and shows how it was right after he's giving this talk of saying how the animation medium is really the perfect place for musicals because it doesn't seem weird that they're singing mm-hmm. because they're all already in a whole nother, like a whole new world. You know, it's 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 already not real. And so... 
it's okay like as the audience we let them sing because it's already we're already putting ourselves into a different world and so we're not putting ourselves into like okay why you why you got to sing why <laughs> why you got to take a picture of somebody singing like why you got to do that and so it's just it's cool to see how everything shifted over just perfectly and when Stuart leaves and then Bill Locke comes in and he asks him on a date and he was just like, have you ever been to the Grammys? <laughs> just like, right? Oh, why would this guy ever well go to the Grammys? <laughs> I, I laughed at that too. <laughs> oh, the Grammys are fun, but I, that's just really it's, funny. It's not normal people think like, oh yeah, sure. I've been there like all the time. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that's great. But then it, it, when it gets into the AIDS epidemic area, it's just that part was really sad to like go through and like each one, of, they talk about all of his friends that within a period of just a, like a year or two were just mm-hmm. kind of passing away. And it just made me really sad. Yeah, it reminds me um, just how quickly at the time the disease was able to, you know, really take someone's life. It reminds me of ALS now. I wasn't really familiar with ALS, yeah. but um, I... I had, you know, someone I followed online, their wife had ALS within two years, they died. My neighbor across the street actually told me last year that he had ALS and he's a snowbird, uh-huh. meaning he comes down. Uh, we only see him in the, in the good weather months and, you know, right. he's come back and he just, you know, when I had talked to him last time, he, he couldn't speak. He had to write on this little like boogie oh, wow. board thing. And now, you know, just seeing him when he's outside, like he's, he's totally deteriorating. Um, not that they're similar uh-huh in you know totally different things but the fact that they just are able to take someone and with a few years your body is just shutting down and that's what aids does and that's what aids did to him you know he died of a heart attack relating to aids um he was but when he was in you know ultimately his last hospital stay he he had was down to 80 pounds he was no longer could see uh it's just really really tragic what aids can do and you know, you know, you think of, you know, but this time when you think of the eighties and nineties, it really was the, this AIDS epidemic. And because it was, people didn't really know about it. People were dying from it. It was very uh, tra- tragic and scary. And, but looking now, um, it's just so sad because it was also like, nobody wanted to tell you that they had it because it was almost a mark, like a, a scarlet letter. Mm, sounds thing. familiar. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Because there wasn't a lot of knowledge about it. You know, people thought, you know, how do you get it? By touching you, do I get it? And so there was a lot of, there was just a lot of ignorance about it simply because people didn't know it was just so new. And now, you know, looking at AIDS, it's a shame because in the, in the eighties and nineties, there was a lot of focus on vaccines. Like we're going to cure AIDS, which obviously you want to cure any disease, but there was less focus and it was actually pushed aside the treatment of AIDS, how to manage it, how to manage the disease. Um, but now because of the different therapies that they have, one called anti-retroviral therapy, ART, you know, since that was introduced, um, significant amount of deaths had been prevented. So I'm looking at this graph and I'll share it in the show notes. So the height of this was in 1983, which was just a few years before, you know, Howard died and it was just going up and it was going exponentially up. But, you know, then they were able to get more of a hold on it. And, you know, with these therapies, deaths were able to kind of by the late 90s, there was a big decrease in deaths um, because of these treatments. Now, while prevalence of the disease has gone up, which prevalence, the difference between incidence and prevalence, um, incidence is number of new cases, right? So every year, the number of new cases, that spiked in 93 and they kept going down. 
prevalence has gone up because those are prevalence are people living with a condition, living with AIDS. So obviously each year, those new cases are going to keep adding. You're either going to die or you're going to be living with them. Right. And so obviously that has continued to go up and it's higher than it's ever been. However, deaths has just significantly decreased. Um, as a result, we've been able to really get a handle on AIDS and you don't hear about AIDS as much as you did, you know, back then it wasn't just taking over the world because they, they got a control on it. And again, just so, so frustrating and sad that it was just a few, maybe a decade too late for Howard. Cause he was 41 and he died. Um, yeah. you know, it's still, ex- it's still a problem. It still exists. Um, but we have just like a lot of diseases nowadays, there's a lot of treatment to help keep it at bay. Right. So with this, Howard, he didn't tell people, you know, again, like you said, it was something that people were ashamed of. They didn't want to tell people. And he really waited until kind of the 11th hour to tell people. It was just so sad to see how it affected him, how he was unable to travel. And when they were talking about writing the songs for, was it Beauty and the Beast? Uh, And they're like, we have to go to Howard? What? Right. Or was it Aladdin? No, it was, it was Beauty, Beauty and the Beast. Beast. Yeah. And, yeah. And they just didn't understand why. And they're like, we have to pick up all of our storyboards. We have to go out there. Like, what a diva. And right. it just kind of shows sometimes you don't really know the whole picture. And, you know, even on those recording sessions that he was involved with, oh, you could just tell this was his life work. This was everything he'd been dreaming for. And he was really only good for about four or five hours. But those things are all day. You got the studio. Yeah. You are going to go all day longer. To, you're going to get it done. And it really, really affected him, those long, you know, eight-hour sessions, um, which is is really a shame. Yeah. Well, and it did show that at the beginning he was able to – they had some treatments, that, but nothing to the extent mm-hmm. of what, obviously, they have now. But, um, yeah, it's – it. I was – yeah, it was just so sad. <laughs> just so, so sad. Um, but I loved when it talked about – uh, in the little mermaid before it gets to all that, uh, he's, he had just learned that he had HIV, but he's dealing with it. And then they're still doing little mermaid. And that's when you have Jeffrey Katzenberg saying, eh, this whole part of your world scene, it's too slow. Get rid of it. <laughs> and you have Glenn Keane. Who's like, uh, no. And <laughs> Howard's like over my dead body. <laughs> like, like that's, and I, I, I can kind of see how, um, especially for, for Jeffrey Katzenberg, how he would just be like, he's just so used to, you know, just get the, get the plot going, get the plot going <laughs> as opposed to let's understand the character. And, um, yeah, <laughs> it's just <laughs> like, I love to see that he was so adamant about, he's like literally over my dead body. I will fight. This is, this could be the, di- the hill that I die on. <laughs> right. Like. Like, no. And the fact that, like, I didn't even know that there was somebody had found, like, an internal memo that was talking about how, like, maybe Howard needs to be fired just because he's, like, wasting too much time, too much money, and just, like, somebody really hated Howard. Right. (laughs) And you're looking at... they're eating their hat now. (laughs) Right. But it's like, you look at, like, all these... I guess I can also see that as a especially if you are a creative and you you feel like you are so or even not a creative if you're dealing with a creative and you're dealing with you know people with just different mentalities and how you look at things um how there's a lot of jealousies and a lot of like ego that goes into like movies and specifically creative endeavors mm-hmm. um and so it's 
I can see how on both sides people are like really trying to just like I don't know be the be the guy who saves the day if they need to and it's like dude you're you're dying on the wrong hill mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. this is um yeah, it's just interesting when you when you see that. And I, I guess I, I bring this up as to say, like, be careful what what you choose to fight for. Like, let's look into all the things. And yes, somebody may be difficult to deal with, but let's all try to not be that difficult person, but also try to understand that difficult person. Mm-hmm. So that's what comes to my mind. <laughs> so talking about his creativity. I just love that moment where they're, I think, were they talking about Little Mermaid where he just came in and he said, these are the songs. We're going to have a song here, a song here, and a song here. This is what it's going to be about. Let's just say it's called this. Yeah. (laughs) Let's just say it's called- it could be called anything. Part of your world. Let's just say it's called part of your world. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love someone who is confident and knows and they are just going to, yes, okay, we're going to play this game. Sure. Let's just- Yes. Um, I just thought that was just so genius because you think of how amazing all of those songs are and he knew going in what it was going to be. And Little Mermaid, from the very beginning, he was very much involved, more so than, let's say, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, they kind of were working on things and they brought him in. And I thought with Beauty and the Beast, it was really interesting. The beginning of Beauty and the Beast was not this epic musical intro that we know now, which is Belle. Right. It was just like Belle's walking around the town and just having conversations with people. And my mind is blown. You know how boring comparatively that would be compared to yeah. just the way it is now. And and ultimately they're there. He came in, he said, Hey, no, we need to do a musical right here. And all of the main points that they were trying to get across in the first one, they get across through the musical. I haven't seen the original animatic, but you know, I imagine it was her walking through the town people talking to her, going into the bookshop, which does happen. You know, that's a part where like the, the part of the song stops and she kind of has this conversation and it continues on. Um, she meets Gaston. Oh, it's so good. Just thinking back, I'm like, he Mm -hmm. was able to take an idea and just write a song around it. And it wasn't this traditional verse, 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 you know, chorus thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was its own thing. And thank goodness for Broadway because Broadway just has Mm -hmm. a way of telling stories and telling emotion in, in a very unique way. So, um, I just love that. It helped me really realize the beauty of that is the song bell, uh, in watching him go through that. Yeah. I, and I like how he works with the different singers. Like he had already worked with Jody Benson. And so there was a little bit more of a connection. <laughs> it was just really funny how she was just like, he's like, yeah, you, you did this a lot quieter than you were doing in the last time we sang this, right? She's like, yeah, so I guess I should just like not pretend I'm on a stage talking, like singing at 1500 people and just be like in my room. And I'm like, oh, thanks, Jody. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, yeah, you're, you're kind you're of right. great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love the part with Jody Benson. Like, she, he almost felt bad for her and what happened with Smile that he brought her in. Yeah. And I'm sure Jody was like, thank you, because this is the gift that keeps on giving. I'm sure the royalty checks yeah. for that song just continue to come in every month. And she's loving it. Oh, um, I hope so. I hope <laughs> she got a good deal on that. Yeah. We're going to, I'm going to be doing another, one of our nerdy couch discussions coming up is going to be me explaining how the royalties work and for music's for music in in movies and so there's a there's a high probability that she doesn't but 
there could be a probability that she does. So who knows? Um, as far as if she, she definitely gets a lot of money from appearances uh-huh. and showing up at different uh, Comic Con type events mm-hmm. um for sure so that's definitely how that cow is getting milked these days but um oh i like jody jody's so great she's great i mean the whole point of the story really is just to look at howard's life and the things that he did that kind of you know just as you mentioned before it's a love letter to him thank you for being you Thank you for pushing in ways that made people really uncomfortable and in also just kind of broadening the idea of what a musical is and really defining, having a definition for a, like plot placements and, and timings and just really changed the animated story mm-hmm. as we know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he his legacy is still seen today. You know, I think people go back and look at those songs and they look at those movies and think, why are they so great? And we're, you know, still analyzing them to this day. And he created a wave, you know, like we had talked about after this, everybody wanted to get in, not only on animation, but on animated musicals, whether you had any business doing it or not, if you were, it kind of became (laughs) synonymous with animated films at the time that it was going to be a musical, um, Mm -hmm. which may have hurt a lot of films during the 90s because they felt okay this is what animation is this is what the audiences want and yes the audiences did want it but they wanted it the right way and howard really showed how is that right way and it was just such a shame because he kind of felt that broadway was letting him down the traditional musical that he was trying to do on broadway wasn't really being well received and didn't feel like it was a home anymore which kind of sounds crazy Um, that Broadway would be pushing Broadway out, but it found yeah. a home in animation because of the medium. You're able to kind of suspend that disbelief and revived an entire industry, you know, just walking down, you know, Walt Disney world this past week, I was able to see that. Yeah. His legacy is everywhere. When you, when you think of Disney now, you think of these songs, these songs yeah. carry on and continue. And we're going to be doing some nerdy couch discussions and we'll be discussing why some songs are more impactful and you remember them more than other Disney songs, specifically for our end credits one. Uh, when we do that <laughs> right. couch discussion, uh, I'm really excited <laughs> for that. So, all right. So with this, what would you rate Howard? I felt like they did a great job of, of bringing in different ideas that you'd already, you'd, you may have already seen or you didn't already see. So I think they, they balanced that out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they didn't belabor the moment, I guess you could say, with a lot of the things that you maybe already knew. But they, I, I felt like they did a good balance of that. And it just made me appreciate him and everything that he did even more. So, you know, four stars. Yeah, I agree with you four stars. Because one thing that I actually really didn't love about this this documentary was that there weren't, like, talking head interviews We didn't Uh get to see the people who were being interviewed. And yes, it was about him, but I feel like for most documentaries, you have, you know, someone's talking, you at least get to see their face, you know, and then their name underneath it. But with this one, they chose not to do that. And I read an article where he just talked about, you know, it just felt weird that we would have this 4K studio footage of the people we were interviewing and then cut back to the VHS quality footage. And I personally disagree with that. I think 
we, we understand this was the best that they right. had. And, um, so he said just to keep it seamless, that's why they did it. But that really kind of distracted me as I was watching it with my husband, we were both like, this is weird because you know, someone's voice would be going. Uh, and then all you got was just like a little blurb of who they were. Um, for me, it visually it would have been a little better to see these people. Cause these people were involved in his life, you know, his sister, his partner, um, even Jeffrey Katzenberg, he, he <laughs> I, I appreciated that he was able to be there. Um, you know, yeah. it's just so funny. It seems like there's so, you know, there was so much hatred between Jeffrey and Disney, but you know, that time has passed, you know, obviously he was involved in Disney during these key moments and was able to, um, you know, game respect game and pay homage to him. Yeah. Especially if it, I mean, he's not really talking about the studio. It's, it's easy to go back and, and love you know, Howard, as opposed to the studio or right. the execs, the executive, the suits of the time. Yes, you know? It's yes, easy to, to be like, you know, what? I respect this man because he, he knew what he was doing. And I, yeah, it's, it, I would, I would think ill of, of Jeffrey if he didn't, but at the same time. <laughs> well, so also Alan Menken was very much involved and they are synonymous, you know, together, yeah. uh, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. And he was in this, but he also did the score for this. And Don Hahn, I read an interview, he was saying that he initially was going to, um, you know, he, he was going to be involved, obviously doing interviews, but then um, Alan Menken said, I want to do the score. And Don said, we, okay. we can't afford you. I'm sorry. I, we just can't afford you. He's like, no, I want to do this. I will do this. This is kind of my tribute and my legacy to him. Nice. Um, and he, you know, Menken has discussed you know how he just there was a lot of childlike elements to the score and um which is interesting because i honestly couldn't tell you anything about the score it didn't stand out to me um which is kind of a shame i wish i would have been a little bit more i didn't realize till the very end credits when it said score by alan menken and i was like oh wait rewind (laughs) wait (laughs) but that's okay so all, all in all really great i'm glad this story was out there um for people who People who've never heard of Howard Ashman or, you know, just want to learn more. And I'm I'm hoping that people are just going to be blown away with him and his contributions and, and what he was able to do. So, so major props to Don and his team. Great documentary and just increases my love for Howard Ashman even more. Agreed. Please tell us what you guys think about this documentary. You can go to, we're doing a lot of like uh, connecting with the audience via Instagram right now. So if you would like to go and make a comment on that, you can go to Instagram or rotoscopers.com slash Instagram to, and find the post about this one. We'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about it. And until next time, we, we are, are the Rotoscopers. Maybe we're not familiar with Howard Ashman or oh, Ashman. Uh, that reminds me of the Seinfeld, <laughs> the Seinfeld license plate. <laughs> okay, rewind. You know, or people who people who've never heard of Howard Ashman. <laughs> okay. But with that, let's jump into this because this is just such a fun, fun movie and it has a lot going for it. So before we do, let's do See, some. I'm not sure if I would call it fun, but <laughs> well, it's definitely. <laughs> okay, sorry, let me say that again. Sorry. Um, okay, let me say that again. <laughs> Oops. Um, 
Yes. No, we're recording. <laughs> okay. You need a sign outside your door that says recording with a flashing light. <laughs> I, I do need the, the flashing light recording sign. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> You've been listening to the Animation Addicts podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you want to help spread the word, be sure to share the podcast with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag us at Rotoscopers on Instagram and use the hashtag Animation Addicts. For all the links and full show notes for this episode, go to rotoscopers.com slash podcast. Now, if you still can't get enough for your animation fix, be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube and visit rotoscopers.com for more animation news, reviews, and interviews. Thanks for listening.